You know, this morning, if we had enough time, and we were able to survey the entire New Testament, we would discover something. And that's something we would discover is that church planning was extremely important uh, to the first Christians. According to church historian John Mark Terry, there were over 100 cities, um, and, and each city, keep in mind, may have had more than, than one church um, that had a church in the first 70 years of the existence of the church. So by 100 AD, if you can imagine, there were already 100 cities that had churches. And in many ways, these churches were similar, weren't they? Uh, Each of them were were birthed with a a relatively uh, few years of one another. Uh, Each of them were filled uh, with uh, new converts. Uh, Each of them were were birthed in the Roman Empire and were heavily influenced uh, by Greco-Roman thought. And the vast majority of these churches were located in, in urban settings, and they were in the midst of these, these hubs for, for cultural influence. Yet despite these similarities, we know that these congregations were also unique in, in their own way. They were different in size. Uh, they were different in, in their, just their demographic makeup. Uh, some of the, the first churches were, were filled with Jews who had converted to Christianity. Uh, other churches uh, were filled with, with Greeks or, or Gentiles who had converted uh, to the Christian faith. But we also know that, that they were different in their overall spiritual health. I think when, uh, when churches are mentioned in the Bible, uh, it's easy for us to assume that these congregations were all healthy because, uh, after all, they're famous, they're in the Bible, right? So they must be a, a good example for us. And, and these were just like the perfect Christians. Have you ever kind of imagined that as you're reading about these churches? Man, they must have been, they must have been amazing. They were always discipling, always, always fellowshipping, always evangelizing. Always, you know, having uh, sermons downloaded on their smartphone so they could spe- uh, feed themselves spiritually uh, all the time. This is what we kind of imagine from these first Christians. However, when we, when we actually open up God's word and we begin to read, we see that uh, these early, earliest of churches, uh, they had their, their fair share of, of warts as well, didn't they? You know, last week, Pastor uh, Elif uh, preached on the issue of church discipline. And he taught uh, from the book of 1 Corinthians. And there's a good reason he chose uh, 1 Corinthians as his text. Because if there was any church in, in the New Testament that needed a, a slap upside the head, uh, it was Corinth. Uh, here's a few of the, the issues that Paul had to address uh, in 1 Corinthians. They had church members who were, were forming uh, unhealthy cliques. Church members were turning a, a blind eye to sexual immorality. Church members were, were struggling with materialism. Church members were uh, not distributing the Lord's Supper in a proper way. Uh, church members were suing one another. Church members were uh, pursuing their freedoms in Christ to, to, to the very edge, and sometimes even over the very edge. Uh, church members were also uh, delving into false teachings uh, regarding uh, both uh, the resurrection and, and spiritual gifts. And, and a question worth asking is, how in the heck did Corinth get here? I mean, why is Corinth so jacked up? I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, their, their founding pastor uh, wasn't a good pastor. I mean, it was the, the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, is one of the greatest theologians the church has ever seen, uh, is one of the greatest leaders uh, the church has ever seen. So how is it that in the three years that he leaves Corinth, uh, we assume on good footing, a solid church, that he, he's finding himself having to write this letter to, to those Christians, to tell them to, to get their act together. How does that happen? 
What happened is probably the same thing that happens in, in churches all the time every day uh, today. It, it's, it's, it's one member at a time drifting away uh, from, from godliness toward spiritual complacency. You know, and, and a drift is just that, isn't it? Any of you like to go uh, canoeing? And, and maybe if you, you've been canoeing before, uh, you, you know what it's like, you've been out there, you've been rowing for a while, you're out there with, with, with some friends and you want to act like uh, you got your act together. So, so uh, you know, you act real, uh, like you, you, you're good at canoeing and you're, you're rowing really hard and, and you're sweating, you're kind of hoping everybody will slow down and finally you get to, to a place in the water. And, and the water is slow and you think, you know, I've got a little sweat on the brow. I'm just going to kind of lean back in my canoe and just relax for a minute. The water's slow, right? So, you know, you, you kind of maybe you, you close your eyes for a moment. And, and you're in that canoe and you can feel the warmth of the sun beating down your face. It's a, it's a nice contrast to, to the coolness of, of the water below. And, and all of a sudden you're hearing all the, the, the symphony of sounds from, from the, the woods all, all around you. And you're enjoying this moment. It's so peaceful. And, and the water, it just feels like it's hardly even moving, doesn't it? And, and so you kind of, you're just, you're ready to, to drift off and, and, and to nod off. And, and there's this sense of security. But all of a sudden, you know, you're not a complete fool. You are on a river. Uh, you, you open your eyes for, for a moment and you realize you're on the, you're jarred too because you realize you're on the opposite side of the river and you're getting ready to hit the bank. So what do you do? You, you grab your paddle and you've been, you've been paddling as quickly as you can uh, to get back on the, the right trajectory. And I think that's what it's like oftentimes uh, with, with our, our spiritual health, isn't it? We, 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 we begin to drift. And, and man, we, we're well-intended people, aren't we? We're good people. We want to do what's right. But, but that's what happens to us is, is we stop paddling towards holiness and, and we naturally drift towards spiritual complacency. And, 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 and that drift, it is virtually unnoticeable, isn't it? I mean, in seasons of life when you have been struggling spiritually and, and you've been slipping, you really got to slow down to catch glimpses of it. And usually it's, it's other people slowing us down and saying, you need to catch a glimpse of this uh, in, in, in your own life. You know, for me, I was thinking about, like, when do I see this in, in my own life? And I was thinking in, in terms of just the context of us uh, being in this room this morning. And when it comes to worship services, you know, maybe you're like me. Do you find yourself distracted just over the... the the stupidest of things, and, and you find yourself annoyed. Uh, maybe it's, the, it's the, the person running the PowerPoint. They click to the, to the next slide two seconds too fast, so you don't know the last word in that verse, and it, and it bothers you, and you're like, that's, all, that's the only job they have to do. Just get the clicking down, people. You know, do you ever find yourself saying that? Or, 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 or the sermon's just going a little too long. You're like, don't you know what time we're supposed to get out? Can we please just get with the program, people? You know, we get annoyed with, with the, the dumbest of things. But just sometimes in a moment of clarity, you have that thought in your head, and, and you think to yourself, why, why am I such a jerk sometimes? You know, why... Why, why am I so critical? Why do I maybe see that person on stage and, and maybe I make some judgment about them in, in my mind? Maybe it's, it's their, their clothing, their attire they're wearing that day. And, and you think, man, I'm singing a song here about the glory of God and how he has forgiven me from an infinite amount of sin. Yet I can't stop thinking about the misspelled word on the screen. Can we not proof text? You know, Word does it for you. PowerPoint does it for you. It's so hypocritical at times, the, the, the attitudes that we have. And I think it's in these moments that we oftentimes see just a little bit of a, a glimpse of just how spiritually we're, we're not all that. 
and, and we have imperfections, and we struggle. And you see, the biblical picture of a, of a healthy Christian is, is not a guy in a canoe dozing off, is it? We don't see that. We don't, we don't see Paul using that illustration or, or Peter using that illustration. The biblical picture of, of a healthy Christian is, uh, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse, or chapter 12, verse 1, it is not uh, a person who is standing still, but is someone who, who rises up and is, is moving, so not to be entangled by sin. And what is that person moving? What are they doing? They're running with purpose. They're running to a, a finish line. They have a, a goal in mind. And the biblical picture of a healthy Christian is one who, who resists that drift, that the natural drift that we all fall into every day, we decide to pick up the paddle and steer toward the finish line. It's the Christian who says, I'm going to take ownership of my spiritual health. I'm going to take ownership of my church membership. You know, for the past eight weeks, we've been studying what it means to be a healthy church member. And if you've been listening, you've been convicted. Because, uh, we, you know, Pastor Cook has been shooting arrows at us uh, each week. And the, and, the, and the folks who have been preaching have been pointing out uh, sins in our own hearts that, that I know I've felt and I know that you have felt. You know, much of the content has been drawn from, uh, from Dr. Tom Rayner's uh, book, I am, am a Church Member. I know a lot of you have been reading that book. And the aim of that book is to address attitudes. It's our attitudes toward uh, church membership to view church membership as a gift, and to know that it's not always about us. It's not always about our preferences, but it's about the preferences of others and bringing glory to God. But this morning, I want us to, to, to get a bit more in just to the, the nitty-gritty, uh, the, uh, the actual action steps to being a healthy church member. And I'm going to be drawing from uh, Dr. Rainer's newest book, just came out uh, about two weeks ago, called I Will. And this is a, a book that lays out more of a, an action plan for congregations uh, that if they will say, I will to these things, and that they will not be so inwardly focused, but outwardly focused, it will lead uh, to, to church health. So what I want to do is I want to take some of the concepts in, in this book, and not all nine of them, don't worry, it's not a nine-point sermon, and I want to dovetail uh, some things that, that Pastor Cook said to us on Vision Sunday this past February regarding expectations for healthy church membership. And if you remember what he said, what he would love to see us as a congregation commit to is to a weekly schedule that includes one worship service, uh, one BFG, and one area of service. Um, I'm also going to be adding on one more commitment related to just our membership responsibilities as it pertains to our interaction with those outside the church. So if you have your Bible, scroll to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And let me just say, it may be that, that you're here, and, and you're in this room, and frankly, you're a little bit tired and weary of listening to pastors preach about healthy church membership because at least according to the expectations that, that we have been uh, laying out week to week, uh, you're not a, a, a quote, quote unquote, good church member. And it may be that you really have no desire to be here. And if we are quite honest, there's a good chance it's because there's, there's some spiritual sickness uh, in your own life. And, and maybe it's, you're struggling. You're struggling to be here. You, you're, you're struggling to be what... God wants you to be, you're wrestling with these expectations, these pastors are saying uh, need to be a part of my life and, and what I feel God is leading me to do. I just want you to know that if, if that's where you are today and, and, and you're, you're the type of person that you don't, you don't like to fake it, you don't want to act like something you're not, 
I just want you to know that, that first of all, I'm, I'm sorry that you're struggling in that way, but I've been praying specifically for you because as we've been addressing a lot of these issues about what it means to be a healthy church member, you know, for the, the reality is none of us are totally healthy, are we? And a lot of us are, are, are really sick and are struggling. So I've been praying specifically for you that, that, that the word today that is preached to you uh, would not uh, lead to just uh, further discouragement or further uh, disillusionment about church membership, but God might use this to, uh, to renew an optimism uh, in your own heart and in your own faith. Now, the reason I've selected Acts chapter 2 for us this morning is because when you think about the Bible and you think about healthy church membership, Acts 2 is the place to go, isn't it? And when Luke records for us what it was like in Jerusalem in those first days with the church, this appears to be an amazingly healthy church. And these are very important verses that give us insight into what we are to be about as a church today. Let's look at these verses. Verses 42 through 47, Acts chapter 2. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, in reading these verses, if we were to, to pull back and look at them in the greater context, in particular what's happening in chapter 1 and through the rest of chapter 2, we would see that, that these Christians are not far removed from the ascension of our Lord and Savior. We have that recorded for us in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. So in chapter 1, we see the disciples doing what Jesus told them to do. He said, wait, wait, one is coming. A comforter is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. Wait in Jerusalem for when the Holy Spirit comes. So that's what they're doing. But in the second chapter of Acts, this marks a significant turning point, doesn't it, in God's kingdom? Because what's happening here? There's a new phase of, of what we call God's redemptive plan that we see laid out throughout all of Scripture. This is a new chapter that we see here that is unfolding with the birth of the church. And consider just for a moment what it was like for these 3,000 plus who got saved at Pentecost. Think about how their life has changed. You know, when we think about Judaism in the first century and what it was like to be a, a worshiper at that time, don't we normally think of words like legalism and, and drudgery? You know, as if they were like, like spiritual zombies. And, and, and so all of a sudden, they've gone from that, from being spiritual zombies, going through the motions, to all of a sudden, they've had an encounter with the Spirit of God. And, and their hearts have been renewed and they're worshiping in a way they never knew possible. Their eyes have been opened up. To, to, to how they've been drifting, how they've been drifting into apathy towards their relationship with God, and they've become just so numb to the goodness and kindness of God. And all of a sudden, these, these newbie Christians, they've got an encounter with God himself, and, and, and their hearts are made anew. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, we see this healthy church, don't we? We see that, that they've done all the steps, they've come forward, they've walked the aisle, 
They've gone to, to, to the prayer room. They've filled out a, a, a church membership card. Uh, they've gone to, to the Discover First Baptist Jerusalem class. They are ready to go. They've met all the commitments, and, and, and here they are, and they're doing church. And what is the first thing Luke tells us about them? That they were devoted. See, Luke doesn't want us to, to think that, the, that the, the Christians in Jerusalem were like many of our churches today, where we are just nothing more than, uh, for many of us, unregenerate spectators. We come, we want to see, there, there's a selfish attitude towards it, but that wasn't the case with Jerusalem. This church was filled with people who, who weren't just curious about Christianity, but who had a relationship with Jesus Christ. They weren't caught up in the excitement, although it was exciting. They were genuine believers. And continuing in verse 42, what does it tell us about their devotion? What were they devoted to? First, it tells us to the apostles' teaching. And if you ever wonder why the preaching of the word and teaching is so vitally important and why it's virtually a part of, of every single service we, we've ever had of this church is because they were doing it in Jerusalem. And if, if they were doing it in Jerusalem, and again, this is the first church God established on uh, the face of the earth, well, maybe we should be doing it. If it was vitally important to their spiritual health, well, it should be vitally important to us. So we're, we should be about the word. And the Bible affirms this throughout. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, verse 2, Peter writes, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. In, in 1 Timothy chapter three or chapter four verse thirteen, Paul exhorts his 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 protege Timothy, and he says this to him about Christian worship and preaching. He says, "Until I come, till I come again, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching." So this brings us to kind of our first action step in terms of, of church membership and t- taking ownership of it is own your church membership by committing to weekly worship. And what does that mean to take ownership? First of all, it means that you're here and you're present. And you fight that temptation to, to not come to church. You fight that temptation to not come up with a, a good enough excuse uh, for not being here. Because, you know, when people ask you, where were you? You've got to come up with a good enough reason for not coming here. And, and I know that it's, it's, it's a little disingenuous to come for me because I know that I'm kind of paid to be here this morning, right? Uh, but I, there was a time when I wasn't on a staff. And, and I understand that, that, you know, life is hard. Life is busy. I know that you guys are tired oftentimes, but, but we need to show a commitment uh, to being here. And, and remember, we're part of a family. You know, we're, we're part of a family. As, as, as Roger Ball was praying a few minutes ago for the offering, you know, he mentioned the, the word father several times. It's a reminder. We are a family. As a family, we need one another. Now, I need you to be here. I need you to encourage me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to, to share your life with me. I need you to share about your struggles so, so, I, so I can relate to you and, 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 and grow in my own faith. So we need each other. But guys, mere presence isn't enough. We need to be fully present. And there's a big difference, isn't there? There's a big difference between just being here and really being here. And really being here means that we're really here on time. I think that's one thing that, that we, we as a church need to do. We need to be here and, and, and ready for worship. And I know that's hard. I know it's often hard when you're coming in and, and uh, there's someone in the lobby. They're a good friend. You haven't seen them all week. You want to talk. You see a little countdown going on on the screens before the service. It says 45 seconds. And you're like, how do I rush through this conversation so I can get in, in there on time? So I, I know there's legitimate reasons. And, and I, but I, I think that, that we want to tell God this is important to us. 
And we do that by, by being committed and being here uh, on time and fully present. Because when we're not here and we're perpetually late, you've been on, um, on a staff or a team or, or you've worked with people who are perpetually late, it kind of drives you crazy, doesn't it? And it communicates something. They're communicating something to everyone uh, in that group or on that team that this isn't all that important to them. And I, I, and I know we don't want to communicate that to God, but sometimes we do. And I think another thing that can be distracting, and this is something that, you know, you didn't hear from preachers a number of years ago uh, because there's good reason, but sometimes our electronics can be a distraction, can't they? Because, I mean, I've got my Bible app right here, you know, and I don't have a paper Bible in front of me, so I've got access uh, to the world. As far as you know, I'm reading a blog about baseball, uh, you know, so we need to, to be careful to not be so distracted even with, with our electronics, and lastly, let me just say this about taking ownership of, of being committed to worship. We need to pray. And I think that a couple of different things that are really healthy to pray is maybe the night before. We definitely need to be praying for our pastors who are leading the service, for our volunteers who are serving, and that God would, would fill them with the Spirit and would make uh, the, the work that they're doing, the service that they're doing, pure joy to them. And, and I think that, that that's, that's a one good place to start. Another thing to pray for is that you can get to church uh, without having a fight with your spouse and being frustrated because your kids wouldn't get their shoes on and those types of things. Because I know many of us, uh, there, there are many distractions that come. And being in a home that has five small children, uh, you know, it's like an assembly line uh, to get us out the door on time. That's what it's got to be like. And so sometimes, you know, I find myself praying, Lord, help us just to get out the door well so we can engage you um, in worship. Another thing I think that is good to pray as we even enter into worship, and maybe when you're singing that first song, is to pray that, first of all, your own heart, that you would come in as a worshiper and not as uh, a judge of how we do things, but you, came, you come in with the right attitude. And, you know, as long as, as, as we're focusing on Jesus and we're not doing anything against the Bible's teachings, you know what? Our opinion really doesn't matter all that much. Okay, so, so I think that that's the type of attitude uh, that we need to have. And I think it's good for us just to even pray for, for those who are around you. Pray for those who are spiritually struggling. Lord, as we worship you today, if there's someone near me that is not a, a believer who, or is struggling to believe the claims of, of the Bible, I pray that, that you would illuminate their minds uh, and, and, and that they would pray to receive you even uh, today. So I think that's what it looks like to take ownership of our Christian worship. Looking again at the passage, we see that the Christians were not only devoted to teaching, they were devoted, devoted to fellowship. And if you jump down to verse 46, what do we see that they're doing? Uh, day by day. These were some committed jokers here, weren't they? Every day they're getting together. Imagine we put that expectation on us uh, today. But day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple. What were they doing? They were worshiping and they were fellowshipping. They were breaking bread from house to house. And guys, fellowship is a, is a, spiritually, uh, is a spiritual responsibility of every believer uh, because, you know, we are commanded to, to stir one another onto faithfulness and, and, and good deeds. And when you think about the, the 59 one another passages uh, or references in the New Testament, how can you fulfill these things in isolation? You can't. So we need to be in fellowship with one another. The, the biblical word most often used for fellowship is koinonia. And, and when you look at the definition of koinonia, simply it just means uh, a partnership or a sharing. So for the Christian to fail to, to partner or share life with others, with other believers, that, that, that simply is sinful. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, 
The author tells us that, he says, let us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting uh, to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what does it look like to take ownership uh, of, of your commitment uh, to church membership in the area of fellowship? As I would say, own your church membership by committing uh, to BFG. And, and hear me straight, I'm pretty certain the Bible doesn't say you've got to be committed to BFG uh, to be a good Christian. Uh, I looked it up, it's not there. Um, I looked in every version uh, of the Bible, it's still not there. I thought maybe one of those illuminated texts or whatever they call them, amplified versions, still not there. But I will say this, that the concept is there of gathering uh, together. And if you read verse 46, it, it appears that the Christians met in two contexts, didn't they? They met in the temple and they met in homes. Okay, everybody in the temple is not going to one home. Very awkward, it'd be a fire hazard, okay? So they're getting together in a larger context. They're getting together in a smaller context. And in our church, it's in these smaller groups that we call Bible fellowship groups uh, that most relationships are created. As many of you um, are aware, over the past several months, um, I have visited most, most of the BFGs. And I've done that just to see what's happening, uh, to um, uh, just experience all the different groups and to just kind of evaluate how we're doing um, in our groups. And it has been very encouraging. And as I've been visiting these BFGs, just to see some of the ministry and the fellowship that's happening. I remember visiting uh, one group. And there was a young couple in that class, and I'm not going to tell you the name of the class because you'll all flood to this one. Uh, there was a couple that saw it as their distinct ministry to provide child care for the couples, other couples in the class. Now, that's the type of class you know you want to be in. I, was in, I visited another BFG, and, and during the announcement time, uh, welcome time, uh, one of the members got up, and, and the man began to share um, about how the class had ministered to his family uh, during a, a very difficult time. And he began to break down in, in tears and when you see that, you know things are happening under the surface. You know that relationships are being built, strong relationships. So I'm thankful when I see those things. You know, a number of our, our BFGs have uh, Facebook groups, and that's how they communicate with one another is through Facebook. And I was uh, looking through one of the, the group pages the other day, and over a seven-day period, I counted uh, six different times that members in this particular BFG offered some type of service or, or ministry uh, to those uh, in the class. And I tell you what, that's what it looks like to live in community uh, with, with one another. You know, as part of visiting the BFGs, we also uh, had you fill out a survey, and hundreds of you actually uh, filled out uh, the survey about the health of your BFG and kind of your own thoughts. And uh, one of the questions that was posed on that survey was, I believe my BFG plays a, uh, an important role in my spiritual growth. I believe my BFG plays an important role in my spiritual growth. Here's what you had to say. Uh, only one of you in the church said no. Uh, I strongly disagree that it is not helping me in my spiritual growth. 2% of you responded, you know, it's, I somewhat disagree. So I don't really think it's helping me to grow all that much. Uh, two of you weren't sure. So I guess you just don't know how you feel about things at that moment. 21% uh, of you responded, you somewhat agreed with the statement that, that, that I believe my BHE plays an important role in my spiritual growth. But 75% of you, so three out of every four, said that my BFG is playing a, a very vital role, a very important role in, in my growth. I thought that was a good number. Another question I was very curious to, to see how you responded to was the, the question about, I have developed and established strong relationships in my BFG. I've been able uh, to do that. And I, I didn't know how you guys would respond. 
Because I know sometimes it is a struggle um, for us. You know, 3% said we're not making relationships. We're really struggling. We strongly disagree with that statement. Uh, 5% said you somewhat disagree that you've made strong relationships, strong friendships. 2% of you, again, I guess maybe it's the same 2%, still not sure about how you feel about things. Uh, But 26% of you said, you know, I somewhat agree that we've made strong relationships. But 64%, so basically two-thirds of us have said, you know, my BFG has helped me into making strong relationships. And while I wish this number was higher, I am grateful that, that, that most of us are finding fellowship and community uh, in, in the BFGs. So what does it look like to make this commitment to a BFG? What does it look like to, to take ownership of it? Well, number one, follow the same rules as in worship. Be there, uh, be present, be, be fully present. But I also would challenge you to, to be a contributing, contributive member to your group. You know, don't be that lethargic guy who always shows up to class, you know, never serves, never ministers uh, to anyone. You're, you're dozed off in your canoe. But be, you know, look to, to use your spiritual gifts. You know, and, and, and I was really encouraged as I was visiting throughout all the BFGs, and there are a lot of names that even come to my, my, my mind right now that, man, they're, they're really looking to serve and to love uh, their groups. And let me just say a word to those of you who are currently not in a BFG, because there is a contingency of you who have made the decision for for you or your family, you know, we're going to commit to worship, but we're not going to do BFG. Well, obviously, I'd I'd like to ask you to reconsider and, and, and ask, you know, what is the reason? Sometimes there are legitimate reasons for not being a part of a small group. But whatever the reason might be, I think you should ask yourself, is this a good enough reason that you would be able, you'd be willing to, to really kind of sidestep what may be your greatest opportunity for spiritual growth. Because, again, four out of, three out of four of you are saying, this is really important to my growth. And, and, and so if you're not a part of a BFG, I would ask you just to reconsider. And for those of you who are in, unhappy in a BFG, you're in a group and you really don't like them. And, 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 and you're in there and you're like, I can't leave. I'm going to upset everybody. I'm going to get exiled to BFG Island or, or whatever it may be. I would say to you, if you've really put in the commitment, and you, you know you've tried to be present and fully present and you've contributed to the class, I would say, you know what, play the BFG field if you need to. You know, don't spend the next seven years in misery. Find a group that, that you can better connect to because I've been at this church for 14 years and I know that for some of you, and I know you, I know that personality, that person would probably do best in this class. And, and sometimes, you know, we don't always get lined up with the right class. So that be, might be something you want to consider. Looking back at Acts 2, picking up in in verse 44, we read, All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. You know, the devotion and the care that the early Christians had for one another was impressive, wasn't it? And it wasn't a large contingency of them uh, were wealthy and they were giving to the poor. The, the situation going on here is more like those just above the poverty line are giving to those just below the poverty line. And it was genuine concern and care for one another. And, and you can't imagine how many of these, these, these Jews who had become Christians uh, had lost maybe their livelihood through this decision that they had made. So our, our third action step in our game plan is to, to own your church membership by committing to serve. And I think this is an area that we do pretty well in as a congregation. Most of us are serving, and we need you. We have a lot of children in this church, so we need a sizable workforce because of that. And I believe that 
the fact that you serve, and, and most of you serve so faithfully, is a, a strong contributor to why I believe that we're, generally speaking, overall a very healthy church. And, and, and because when you serve, you gain appreciation, don't you, for something. When you invest, you gain appreciation. It's kind of like a rental car. How many of you drive a rental car like your own car? Or you drive it with concern and caution? No, you get the insurance and you drive it how you want to drive it, right? And you goose it out of the parking lot. You, drive, you, you make the turns a little harder. You drive the interstates a little harder. Because it's a rental car, you don't have much invested, do you? It's a short, short-term commitment. And that's how we sometimes can view, uh, we can treat our church membership. But when we're invested and we're pouring into it, it's like our own car. And, and we gain appreciation uh, for it. And when you invest in your church membership, what you are doing, if you think about it, is you are, you are digging this deeper and, and, and deeper reservoir of love for the local church. And why do you need to do that? Why do you need to dig this deep hole of love for the church? It's because spiritual droughts come, don't they? And the water will evaporate. So you need to dig deep uh, so your love does not evaporate. So let me just pose two questions regarding taking ownership of, of, of service within the church. Number one, I would say, are you serving out of your giftedness? You know, look to, to, you know sometimes we have to serve and we have to do things that maybe we don't love or maybe isn't the most fun thing. And I'm grateful for those of us that do that and we need to do that. But I would say that, that try to serve out of your giftedness when you can. And then if you can link it up to, to, to your, the resources God has given you, even better. So if God has given you spiritual gifts and he's given you a home or a car or, or something else, think about how can, I, how can I bring those things together to be a blessing uh, to others. You know, yesterday uh, our family went and had um, lunch at the, the Webster's home, Todd and Shari Webster. And whenever anybody invites us over for lunch, that's kind of a... Um, uh, risky business for them. We have five small children, so you kind of, you know, you better put all your breakables away. But the Websters, they've had five kids too, so, you know, we're kind of freaks together in that. And we, we go there, and, and the Websters, they're so compassionate and kind. They have the, the gift of, 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 um, of just uh, inviting people in and making them feel loved. They have a wonderful home as well. There's an example of someone who is using their giftedness and their possessions for the kingdom. Let me also just say lastly about service is be careful not to overcommit. We can really overcommit if we're not careful. And sometimes we as staff don't do you any favors because we come to you with these puppy dog eyes and we tell you that our ministries are on the verge of disaster if, if you aren't our savior and you come in and you serve in the three-year-olds or, or whatever it may be. But, but take ownership of, of, of your service by when you need to, you say, Blake, no, I cannot do that. I've got too much going on, or I need to step down. Or Vanessa, no, I can't do that. I need to step down. Or Philip, no, I can't do that. That, that would mean I'm overcommitted, and it wouldn't be a healthy thing. So that's how we take ownership of service. Looking back at Acts 2 and, and looking again at verse 46, we read, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. What were they doing? They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And what was the Lord doing? He was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we see here is, is these early Christians. What were they committed to? Well, they were committed to praising God. We read that. And they were filled with joy. And they were spending time out with people, out and about. They were in the temple. And they were being open 
with their faith in, in a winsome manner so that all could experience and, and, and see firsthand the transformation that, that God had done in their lives. So, so the love that, that they were demonstrating within their Christian community even was being noticed by outsiders. And these outsiders, they're like, what's going on in there? I want to be a part of that. And day by day, people were becoming a part of it. They were getting saved. And, and it's crazy to think that these, these Christians, which, let's be honest, most people viewed them at this time as this, this cultish offshoot of Judaism, all of a sudden, people are noticing the impact that they're making. And they're making an impact in the culture there in Jerusalem. And the spiritual revolution, what is it doing? It's taking over home by home through the hillsides over the city of Jerusalem and in the surrounding hills. So what does it look like to, to put into action this idea of reaching out and evangelizing? Our church membership, we, we take ownership of it by committing to evangelize. And I believe one of the best ways that we can reach our city is by first and foremost, be a healthy church. Be a church that, that people look at us, these not yet Christians, they look at us and, and they say, I want to be a part of that. They got their act together. My marriage is falling apart, but, but, but theirs isn't. Why is that? I can't keep my, you know, my, my kids, they're, they're rebelling. I don't know what to do. But, but these people, they seem to, to have a good grasp on, on how to raise children. Or we're in the workplace, and they handle things so well. They work so well with others. They're so humble. They never take credit. Why is that? We want, we want to know what, what's different with those people. And that's what it looks like for, for us to, to engage our culture and to, to be winsome and for, for people to look at us and say, you know, I want to know what's different with them. But Louisville, they won't know we're healthy unless we let them know we're healthy. And we've got to demonstrate it in front of them. And we have to uh, remove several expressions from our vocabulary. So from now on, you're not allowed to say these things. They are of the devil. Just keep that in mind so you can't say them anymore. Evangelism, that's not my spiritual gift. Can't say that one, of the devil. Evangelism, isn't that what we pay Pastor Bill and Pastor Blake to do and other church leaders? Can't say that one. Evangelism, I, I don't have time. Yep, can't say that one. How's that one going to hold up at the pearly gates? Evangelism, I, I, can't, I can't impose my beliefs on, on someone else. Can't say that one, of the devil again. And this is my favorite. Evangelism, I, I'm, I'm an introvert. You, you can't say that. All of these things are of the devil, I'm certain of it. So how do you take ownership? Number one, I would say this. Our pastor has said on numerous occasions this past year, if you've been listening, uh, intercede, invest, invite. Intercede, invest, invite. Uh, here's a good diagnostic question for you this morning. If everyone that you prayed for last week to, to, to come to know Jesus came to know Jesus today, how many people would it be? That's a tough question. That's a hard question, and it's a reminder that we need to be praying for people. Isn't it amazing, though, when we're praying for people? We're praying for, for God to give us opportunities. Opportunities just come up. Second thing I would say is, is look to, to leverage your home and to build bridges with these not yet Christians. And, and that's something that, that if we will do that, if you can imagine Louisville as on a map and every little home is like a light bulb on that map and then they're all, all just lighting up, we have the ability to really impact our city in a way that, that is really special if, if we will leverage our homes and our, and our apartments for Jesus Christ. And the last thing I would say is, when at church, speak to humans you don't recognize. Speak to humans you don't recognize. I know that sounds a, a little funny, uh, but, but, you know, we've invited them, and then they come, and then we sing about all these things and how grateful we are and how we love each other, yet we don't engage people. 
You know, we see someone and you're like, oh man, let me turn the other way. I don't want to engage them. It could cause an awkward moment for a second. And we see somebody and we're like, ah, has that person been a member for 30 years or is that their first time here? You know, we all have those, those situations. But we need to be engaging and, and inviting people. I think this one simple thing can make a big difference. So how do you take... Uh, Ownership of your church membership, you do it by committing to worship, committing to the BFGs, committing to service, and, and to evangelize. There's more we could say. We're out of time, so we're not going to. Um, you know, you, we still need you to give and those types of things, so there are other things. But these are, are, are many of the most important things. Next week, Pastor Cook is going to lead a discussion. We're going to close, close shop on this, uh, on this sermon series. And he's going to talk about what it means to be, a, again, a healthy member, what that, how, how to flesh that out um, more practically. Um, so we look forward to that. And in a moment, we're going to have a, a time of invitation. And it could be that you've visited a few times, or maybe it's even your first time. And, and you feel the Spirit telling you, this is the place I want to be a part of. You know, I've heard what their expectations are for me. I'm ready to step up and be a part of something uh, where, where something is expected of me. In a moment, we're going to have folks here at the front. And you can come forward and, 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 and let your um, uh, request be known. And we will uh, sit down and speak to you about what it means to be a member here at the church. You know, the, these steps are also open. Maybe you want to come up and, and, and pray uh, this morning. Or maybe you want someone to pray with you. We'll have up, those up in front as well uh, to do that. So if you will, please stand with me. And allow me to lead us, uh, lead us in a time of, of invitation when we respond to what we've learned from God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we know you love your church. Lord, you, you love your church to the point that you would sacrifice your son on the cross. Lord, we thank you that he was crucified for, for our redemption. Lord, I pray that, that your love for the church would uh, also be present in us and that we would, we would see church membership as this, this kind gift from a loving God. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, may we never grow weary uh, in our pursuit to be more faithful to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.